0: Hello, everybody. Hope you're doing well. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of The Luke Thomas Show, Sirius XM Rush, Channel 93. Let's see. Uh, Today is Sunday, December 18th. It is uh, the day after UFC on Fox 22. As you know, uh, or you may have not seen, I I usually do these like right after the fight is over, and I didn't because uh, I had a friend in town from out of the country. So I'm pulling the results up here. So, um, you know. They wanted to do with some other things. I did see Star Wars. If you haven't seen Rogue One, it's really good, actually. Go see it. Um, but anyway, I watched the fights this morning, and I want to take some time to collect my thoughts. There's actually one benefit doing, to doing this now, especially for the Fox shows, because I have the ratings. Um, so check this out. This is actually really interesting to me. Uh, let's get into it. Now, by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. You can get at me on Facebook, slash Luke Thomas News. Please subscribe to the channel now. It really helps me out. I put a lot of videos up that are interviews from my Serious XM shows or at least clips from them. Um, I do a lot of these recaps right after fights. So if you like that content, please um, um, like and subscribe. It does me a lot of good. Okay. But let's talk about this first. So, first of all, I thought the card last night was really entertaining. Now, I'm only going to get to the main card today because I have to do the Monday morning analyst tomorrow. But let me just rate the main card. Great, B plus, maybe even A minus. More more than B plus territory, but like a solid B plus. You know, um, very very entertaining. Um, really enjoyed it. I uh, Thought it was uh, well put together. And we had talked previously how unorthodox the card was these shows were either they would put championship fights on there like Cerrone versus um, RDA or you know uh, Demetrius Johnson or, or you name it and if that wasn't the case these were a lot of number one contender fights the belief for a very long time was let's put these fights of magnitude with important fighters on the cusp of extra special greatness winner of that will go on to that extra special greatness surely these people from this Fox platform will follow and I think what we found is that it's really not true. Now, it's not that they, there's no benefit to being on Fox. There, of course, is. it's a huge channel, and, and a lot of the shows have been great. I personally, as the East Coast guy, I love the fact that they end around 10 or 10.30. But uh, it wasn't exactly clear, if not absolutely fundamentally true, that no one was following these guys to um, pay-per-view. Now, the opposite worked. If you'd gone from pay-per-view to Fox... That had a lot of value. Uh, you know, you can look at the case where Shevchenko versus Holm did quite poorly at the gate in Chicago, but did really well in the ratings um, after the fact. Now, that wound up being also five rounds, so that helped too. Last night's fight in mean, like three minutes and change doesn't help so much. But, but here's the interesting part about that. Here are the ratings. Um, here we go. UFC and Fox 22. These are just the overnights. These will get bumped up. Okay, um, how much are going to get bumped up? Hard to say. It will depend on the West Coast audience. It will depend, which should be significant in this particular case. But it's just you can never be too sure. The only problem is, as I mentioned before, you really want a long main event because that long main event will give you. And uh, make sure I'm still, yeah. The long main event will give you the more the extra time it bleeds over. This one ending pretty quickly doesn't help, but this one might pass. You know, three million, maybe three and a half. They get lucky. It's hard to say, but. Something to pay attention to, but just the overnights were 2.69 million with a 0.9 rating for adults 18 to 49 and a four share. Um, That's a great number. Now, these December shows typically do better, but consider this. Last December, USU and Fox 17 only did a 2.28 in overnights. That was RDA versus Cerrone for the lightweight title. And then the December prior to that, I believe 13 only did a 2.27. So this is a clear bump up from that. Um, I'm not any sure in the end what ultimately UFC and Fox 17 did, because remember that fight ended pretty quickly too when uh, Cerrone got folded. Let's see if we have the final ones on those. Uh, 2.8 million viewers, so that bumped up about a half million. So if that holds, then we're looking at you know three two, three three, around there. It's pretty good. It's pretty good for a headlining fight with Paige Van Zant for a head, you know, co-made event of Mickey Gall and Sage Northcutt. So the ratings for this, not bad. Definitely, definitely not bad. Not amazing or anything like that, but but definitely not bad. Okay. You might know, be asking, why does that matter? Well, trust me, look, the UFC, what they plan on doing is they plan on splitting this content up. The new management does WME IMG. Maybe some goes to Turner, maybe some goes to NBC Sports, maybe some goes to ESPN, maybe some stays on Fox, but whatever the case, they in order to pay back this bills. For this uh, loan they have, they want us. They want to basically balkanize their content across a number of TV networks, and in so doing, they want to bump the rights fees almost fourfold just to get the money back that they have to make. So you might be asking, well, what difference does it make to the ratings? Uh, or what they are? It makes a, it makes an extraordinary difference, especially right now. Okay, but with that out of the way, let's forget about ratings. This, of course, at um, Sacramento's Golden One Center. Michelle Watterson, Paige Van Zandt. I thought Michelle Watterson was really kind of being slept on this past week. I had Dave Doyle on my radio show on Friday, and I was asking him, like, no one's really talking about Michelle. Everyone's sort of focusing on Paige. And it's understandable. Paige is the bigger star, at least up till last night, and probably still is after this, of course. But, um, you know, coming off Dancing with the Stars and everything else, that she was sort of the focal point of this uh, effort and uh, and lives and trains in Sacramento. So... um. Not a great performance from her. Michelle Waterson. I mean, with a brilliant, brilliant head and arm throw up against the fence. Brian Stan calling it correctly. You could see she was pushing her up, framing her up, throwing strikes to, to frame her up, and then what they call fitting in. Fitting in is a process where if I'm facing you, the fitting in process is the part where I spin into you. It's not the throw itself. The fitting in is just the act of that, just the twist. Okay, and you can practice just that—the fitting in thing. You can—you'll see Jiroka do it all the time, whether it's a, whether it's a standing seo, whether it's a, whatever the case. If they have to spin and give their back to get it, it's called fitting in, and she fits in in lightning speed. I mean, perfectly timed. Got her. And you know, credit to Sage, she does this bit where she, you know, she does these unorthodox things where she goes to her base backwards. In other words, if she's on her back. She doesn't roll to her base. She throws her legs over her head to spin. But when you do that, you're not in control of the scramble anymore. And Michelle Waterson waited for it and then came right around and snatched her back up. Um, and from there, I have to go back and watch exactly how they hand fought, but didn't look all that particularly complicated. Uh, one of my colleagues, R.J. Clifford, had made a point that, you know, Look, obviously, someone like Demi and Maya gets a rear naked choke on you or Braulio Estima, they don't even need your throat to finish. They'll just do it around the jaw. They'll either break the jaw or they'll drive the jaw back. Uh, Gunnar Nelson did this too. Like your elite black belts um, obviously will use the, the the rear naked choke and the people they finish with it won't be suspect. They'll be good fighters. But it's also true that like in MMA, the rear naked choke, um, and Conor McGregor fell victim to it, although he was rocked and tired and everything else. But the point being is, it also can be more often like it's. It's also true that like the newer fighters, the the greener fighters are a little bit more susceptible to it. Um, it's not a hard and fast rule, of course, but you know, there's just a lot of technical growth that she needs to do. Uh, and you know, this fight I, I thought was even on paper in the sense that you knew Michelle Waterson was the more technically superior fighter. But she is a real atom weight. She's not even a straw weight. And uh, Paige is a good size straw weight. I don't think she's huge for the weight class, but appropriately sized. And you know has and uses physicality in her, in the way she fights. So you thought, well, that sort of evens out. But man, tech the skills win fights. You know, almost all the time, skills win fights, and that's what you saw there. There's just the more skilled fighter uh, having her way. And then even with the side stance, keeping her away, keeping her away, clinch breaking. Um, pretty great stuff, pretty great stuff, so congrats to Michelle Watterson, uh, Mickey Gall defeating Sage Northcutt via rear naked choke in the second round, man, this was pretty entertaining, so what can you say about these two, well, fun fight, I thought, I thought I really enjoyed the fight, actually, uh, Mickey Gall is, is a good grappler, I think that we can say pretty definitively, um, how good, I don't know, but definitely good enough to compete in the UFC, right? Just on his grappling alone, to me, his striking absolutely needs some work. I did. I was not either. I was not too impressed with the striking or the composure. Now, that is not a huge indictment. He is what four fights in. I mean, how good could he possibly be under those circumstances? Uh, it, it, he would have to be something of a prodigy to already have that uh, ingrained. I think he'll have time to get better, and he will. Um, it's actually, frankly, very understandable. I don't hold it. Super hard against him. I just don't think we can declare that he's got good composure under fire or that he's got a lot of real striking prowess at this stage. It's something he, it's clearly developmental. It's pretty clear to me that his first order of business is grappling, and I think that's the right call. Um, he has the advantage over a lot of guys there, and, uh, you know, I mean, you know, on the lower level of the UFC ranks, and clearly had a lot more offer than Sage Northcote on the mat, um, be it with. The single leg takedowns he hit, the back takes he hit. Um, He is really good from half guard, either in passing, threatening an arm, threatening a head. The way in which you fight it, he'll just attack something else, which makes you change what you're doing, which means he can go back to what he was doing before. Sage Northcutt, you saw this time, especially with that right hand, did a good job of inside bicep control underneath. Had 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 a underhook here and was able to use that to create space eventually. And avoid the guillotine to create a scramble and stand so like definitely what i saw from sage was an improvement i just don't see a lot of dynamism off of his back it's a lot to me of it's not survival anymore it's defend remember survival defense attack those are the levels of jiu-jitsu so we're past survival he's defending uh and that's good um but it's just you know he doesn't lock up guard and start just framing for arm bars and controlling the guy on top and pushing and pulling and yanking and overhooking. He's not doing any of that. He's just, he's, he's defending. Well, I'll give him that, but he's getting back to his feet. I'll give him that. But there's a lot of problems there. Um, You know, but on the feet, first of all, I love that Sage came out and was like trash talking him. I don't know what he said. You know, Uh, I'm not sure if he's like Andrew luck where he's like, you know, his trash talk is wow. You know, that was, really great, that was a really great kick, man. That was awesome. You know, I don't know if he's like that or if he's actually giving him the old Stockton slap, but um, nevertheless, he's at least out there doing it, and I enjoyed that part. So good on Sage for getting a little, little edge to him. I, I thought that was awesome. And he had some of his moments on the feet. You could tell he was quicker on the feet. You could tell on the feet he had more composure than Mickey Gall, right? Striking was a lot less of, a, of an issue to him, uh, at least in outside space. Um, even landing some nice shots on him. I thought the one thing that really stands out in my mind was uh, they clinch. Sage does a good job of underhooking and framing away, but he can't quite create separation. The underhook, and you always want that inside space. I mean, you don't always, always want it, but it's, you know, as a general rule, having double underhooks is better than being double underhooked. And what does Mickey Gall do? He whizzers, he steps out and wrenches the whizzer what does that do that forces a reaction on you you don't want to get your it's similar to what john jones did on um glover Teixeira, where you're overhooking just past the elbow right and you wrench it hard and what ends up happening is they don't want to get their shoulder and arm snatched so they resist a little bit but what happens when they resist is the force still carries through so you watch him he'll take a step and when it takes the step bang over the top that right-handed land uh that right-handed uh the right hand landed excuse me and that was awesome whoa that was awesome i never quite seen that before using the wrench from the wizard to set up the overhand right dropped him and then sage had some composure issues which again is to be expected these guys are very very young you know um he's 20 years old the guy can't even legally buy a beer in this country it's nuts so what does he do he kind of does this throws a couple punches and then shoots shoots gets stuffed comes around the side you see sage put up the hand to block the turnaround of from taking the back of gall what does gall do gall just steps around it keeps it and then puts the hook in on the far side and then rolls to it so now the hand is trapped like he um as a grappler mickey gall uses his length well i will say that he uses his length really well a lot of guys don't use their length all that well it becomes a liability I talked about this especially when they're scrambling right they'll put their knees in tight and they'll spread them away and what happens is they create space in the middle that another grappler is just going to take advantage of. Mickey Gall doesn't give you a lot of that. So his grappling is pretty nice. Um, but um, but yeah, so then the rear naked choke comes. Did you guys see how he did it? So Gall likes to choke the choking arm, back of the tricep on the mat. That's where he likes to be that's where most grapplers frankly like to be you don't have to be there but it's it's a common technique choking arm tricep on the mat that's what they want right or at least facing the mat not actually touching necessarily but they don't want to have the choking arm and then have the mat here they want to have it here and then they're laying on this side so he's laying on this side you see him try and switch like this and then he rolls a little bit and sage thinks that he's just trying to go from one side to the other but as sage moves into this one he goes back and switches to the other one so he goes one side the other like that uh it's a three-step um shot and so by that time sage just got the wrong arm and uh and then you see him get you see his spine get stretched bro however bad that looks take my word for it it hurts much more than it looks and it looks bad it hurts way more. So even if that choke, like I looked at choke, the choke was pretty tight, but it wasn't. I don't know if the, if it was just the choke, would it have worked? Maybe. Uh, but the choke with the crank, that's a showstopper right there. Uh, Uriah Faber defeating Brad Pickett, 30-26 across the board, dropping him in that, fir- I think it was the first round, if I'm not mistaken, uh, off a left hook from the clinch break. You know, I thought your right favorite looked pretty good here for the most part. Your right favorite like going out in the game, maybe still top five in the division, certainly top ten. Um, still a very strong grappler. You can still see his style of grappling. By the way, really good job as Pickett tried to get his hips to the mat from a back take of not giving it up, keeping the mount. You know, getting that shoulder to the mat, and then you could see him coming up on top, and your favorite read it and beat him to the punch. Great stuff uh, in terms of that. Um, I it's weird, you know. Everyone's like, "Oh, power's the last thing to go." Okay, I believe it. And their speed declines, but it's weird. Like, you don't notice a drop off in the, even the scrambling movements of Faber. And sometimes his punches look really fast, but sometimes his punches in this fight looked labored, even early. You know, I just don't think he has quite the same amount of speed that he used to. And you can kind of see it in moments. Um, you know, credit to Brad Pickett for that calf kick that looked like that, that thing was nasty. I don't know much about that. I'll be honest, people were asking me. I'm not the guy to talk to about that, unfortunately. I'm going to have to do my research and talk to some folks as well. That's not something I have a ton of uh, uh, answers for. But very, very interesting. Seem to be very effective. So um, we'll see how much that technique gets democratized. You guys know one person does a front kick to the face and then everyone just starts doing it. So maybe we'll see more of that kind of calf kick uh, now that Brad Pickett did it on a pretty big stage. Um, Trying to think like the things I enjoyed. You know, uh, not when, when, when he's in side control on top, uh, Uriah Faber he doesn't let he doesn't he doesn't mind it if you roll because he loves to go from those front headlock series couldn't quite lock up the guillotine good job by Brad Pickett hand fighting and always kind of know where his balance needed to be and his hands and his chin needed to be to avoid getting snatched up there good job by him but in the end it just wasn't enough Brad Pickett by the way you know there's some questions that need to be asked about I mean not even asked like we just need that I mean this, this is his just start with his UFC run let's see he's one, two wins, one loss. Let's see. How many losses does he have? He has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve UFC fights. Of them, he's won one, two, three, four, five. So he's five and seven in the UFC. And in his since uh since 2004, fourteen. excuse me, he's won two and lost five. He's also two of his last three and let's say four. He has five of his last six that he's lost. Uh, this is getting to a very desperate point. I think some questions need to be asked, to be perfectly honest. And that one against Rivera was a split decision that he won. The last clean win was his flyweight debut against Neil Seary. So he's taken a lot of damage and abuse over the years, and I, I don't I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world if he maybe decided there was some other things he wanted to do with his life, um, just in the interest of, of preservation. Um but, he's, you know, he's been a credit to combat athletes everywhere, too. You know, just, just got to say, um, you know, what a great career you have has had. Did, maybe he didn't wear UFC gold, but he did a lot of different things. And it was a great representative for mixed martial arts in many ways was a pioneer. Uh, as you guys know, I have a strong affinity for guys who develop a sort of regional following. Not really, and, and of course, international followings as well. But but, they, but their identity becomes tied to a geographic location. I can't quite explain why that has significance for me, but it, it does. Um I really find that an endearing trait and he had that and, um, you know, was a great Northern California representative. And I talked to Dave again, Dave was there all week and he was telling me like, you know, that thing was the hot thing in Sacramento that weekend. Everyone was really excited about it. There was advertising for it everywhere. It was a big to do in the city. So, um, you know, Uriah Fabers had a hell of a career, uh, be curious to see what he does next. And we're all, I know, I, I don't know if I speak for you, but I feel like I do when I say we're very thankful and better for having seen someone like that compete. Uh, what what a great what a great ambassador and for the sport what a great competitor and you know even uh, I can tell you as a media guy he was always easy to work with you could ask him tough questions and he kind of understood that this was part of the process um, never really shied away from him and I'll I'll never forget I think this was before the before the second cruise fight and I remember being like you know he's going to be like in his mid to late thirties at this point and what if he loses like what's really left for him. And uh, I asked him, like, well, what about that contingency? And, of course, they all give you the same answer, like, well, I'm not really thinking about that. You know, I'm thinking about winning. Okay, fair enough. But his point was more than that. Like, he said something like, I just, um, I'll be okay. I'm a positive guy. I believe positive thinking yields positive results over time. And um, I, I will be fine. Like, I know that no matter what happens in this fight, I, you know, I intend on winning, but no matter what happens, like, I believe I'll be okay, and I have to say, like, I don't really, I don't really think like that normally, right, I guess I'm a little more negative, um, I worry all the time about things, and you can see, like, you know, it's how you're 37, and you're going white, like, it's going out of style with your hair, uh, I just remember that, you know, if I could say one thing about your Uriah favor beyond his fighting, like, I took a life lesson from that interview a little bit, like, there, it does probably pay over time to be more positive, and look what happened after that fight, he still had a lot of big fights, and did a lot of big things, and, and ended his career on a really great note. Uh, it pays to be positive, and, and I and I, I can honestly say that like I never I'll never forget when he said that to me in an interview because naturally that's not a thought that occurs to me. Uh, uh, and then in the in the final main card fight, Alan Joe Ban defeating Mike Perry. Man, this was a really interesting fight. Perry had his moments. You could tell if you get close and he puts hands on you, it's going to be bad for you. Um, Joe Ban fought a great fight. Really great fight, really disciplined about his distance, making adjustments from things that weren't going that well towards things that were. Um, you know, I, this is often a real test. You know, which guy, th- not even through more, through less. Joe obviously threw more in this fight, but which guy's style of striking was more dynamic? You'd have to say it was Alan Joe You know, he was throwing front kicks with the lead leg, he was throwing front, uh, uh, lead leg, uh, uh, round kicks, uh, he was throwing body kicks with the, with the, with the, uh, his left leg. He was double-jabbing. He was double-jabbing, faking with the right, stepping to the outside, um, mixing in head kicks. So he was keeping busy. He was keeping Mike Perry guessing. You know, Mike Perry, I thought, did a better job eventually of closing the distance. But it's interesting. A lot of times we talk about guys following someone, like, like don't follow someone around the octagon. As they move, cut them off, right? Like cut them off. And eventually he started doing that. But then if you're not engaging, even if you're cutting them off, you are taking away some of their weapons but it's just a lesser version of what you were doing previously or maybe a better version, but only, only slightly. It doesn't, it's still basically the same kind of thing. You're still basically following them. You're still basically waiting for something and just the dynamism, the activity, the distance management, um, and eventually that left sneaking through, you know, he was going circular shot, circular shot, circular shot, circular shot, circular shot. And that left, as he stepped out with his right, came right down the middle, stuck him and dropped him. It was nice. It was a really, really strong performance from Alan Joban, you know. It's what happens when a guy is 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 prepared, focused. Um I still think I still think Mike Perry can be something more than what he is, but he'll have to take this as a very important learning experience. Um, uh, you know, sure, if guys exchange with you, his chances are gonna be good. Right? If they get there and they just want to they want to just throw hands, chances are he'll win the gunslinging contest. But when they want to keep distance on you and they want to vary it up and they wanna keep you guessing and they wanna keep you defensive and they want to keep you reacting, it's a hard way to fight, man. That's a hard way to fight in that league. So uh really strong performance from Alan Jaban. I was really happy for to see that. Um great stuff. Now the question becomes what happens with this UFC on Fox card strategies going forward? This was a break from the norm. You had a fight. People ask me, what does Waterson Van Zandt mean? Uh, what does the winner get? And I'm like, nothing. <laughs> I mean, you get the notoriety. You get the great victory, right? I mean, those are not insignificant things, but it, you're not put in a number one contender spot, although, you know, who knows in today's UFC, but at least from the outside looking in, it doesn't feel that way. Um, so what's what's next? It'll be very curious to see, especially with these pretty good ratings, Uh, what direction this franchise takes, but maybe the thought, and and frankly, you could make a very strong case that like, you know, look, there's a lot of things WME IMG is doing that I think is making a lot of us nervous or at least confused. There's a case to be made that adding extra belts is probably not a good thing. Uh, in the UFC, as it relates to, say, women's featherweight or something like that. Um, But some of the old things that UFC were doing probably did need innovating or at least experimentation of some kind. And I don't know that WME has all the right answers either. But if one, if one of their fundamental beliefs is like, look, there is clear evidence that putting this number one contender fights on there, while well, they're not doing poorly by any stretch, but maybe there's a better way to do things. Maybe there's a more interesting way to do things. Um, maybe featuring the youth of the UFC, even if they fall short in the case of Northcutt and Perry and Van Zandt. Um, maybe there's something to be said for that, right? And, and, and if that's the case, why not? Why not at least attempt? Why not at least try? You know, my colleague Dave Meltzer he made a point that like this might come down to like looks more than skill, and I think his, I think his general approach to that um, question is probably the right one. Like, what does it mean that we're not putting like the elite of the elite on TV? We're putting very raw talent, especially in the case of Gall versus Northcutt, and I think his concerns are well founded. But I think I would add that it's probably not just looks that it might just be in the case of Gall. Coming down from pay-per-view, we've mentioned that, you know, uh, obviously Holm versus Rousey is bigger, but and, or Holm versus Tate is much bigger. But Holm coming from a big pay-per-view experience to TV had a big effect. This one was much less, and but, you know, the ratings were still good. I think that part probably helped, right? Came with a big fight with CM Punk down. Both of those guys coming from the ground up from the Dana White show, uh, that probably helped as well. Um, and Paige Van Zandt, you know, making the lateral move from – well, it's not quite lateral since like 16 million watch an episode of Dancing with the Stars, but I just mean big network TV to big network TV. um, That probably helped as well. So even if there was an issue with the overall skill level of some of the competitors relative to, you know, number one contender fight, number one contender fight, number one contender fight, um, I don't know that it creates for an unsatisfactory product necessarily. Um, even someone like me who is a hardcore fan of mixed martial arts and you know something of a uh, 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 a, a complainer right uh, I can admit that um, I didn't have much of a problem with the card I don't think it's a it's a it's, a, it's an indictment necessarily about what people want or don't want um, and if they can do better on television and attract bigger audiences, obviously there is a point where you don't want to go too far. I still believe that CM Punk, for example, competing in the UFC is a a deeply tragic and avoidable mistake, but uh, I don't think it was inappropriate to put those two guys on TV. And I don't even necessarily have a problem with it being on the co-main event. Uh, We'll see what happens with the rest of the product, but I think maybe getting away from the old line of thinking in certain cases might not be a bad thing. So what you should do is stay tuned for the ratings. Um we'll see what the the final ones will come out Monday or Tuesday. And if they get above three, hell, if they get above three, five, man, that's a home run. It's a home run, you know. So so we'll see. We'll see how they do. But not bad. Not bad, all things considered. Um, okay. You can follow me on Twitter at sbn Luke Thomas. You can get at me on Facebook, Facebook.com slash News. Please subscribe to the channel and like the video. I always appreciate when you do. I'll have the Monday Morning Analyst out tomorrow. I'll get to some of those Bellator fights plus the rest of the undercard because it was great action on the undercard. Sorry I couldn't do this last night. I will have some stuff for you, obviously, of course, after UFC 207. Um, I'm actually going to go to Vegas, but then I'm coming back before the fight. So I'll be home for UFC 207 itself. I'll be there for fight week, and then I'm coming home the day, I think the day, I'm taking like a red eye that Thursday night, so I'll be back here Friday night for that fight. So you'll have good stuff before the end of the year. Um, appreciate you guys watching, and uh, there you go. Thanks for watching. I would say get but I'll say make some better use of the rest of your Sunday. How about that? Thanks, guys.